You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Amen. Well, let's rise for the reading of God's Word, if we can, and turn our Bibles to the book of Psalms 34 and verse 1. Psalms 34 and verse 1. Psalm 34 and verse 1. Hallelujah. It's a verse of scripture. I will just read to our hearing. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we thank and we honor your name. We give you praise for your goodness and for your mercy. We do not take for granted your presence here today. We ask the Lord as we speak and teach, O God, that you will speak and transform our lives through your word in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting God and King, for in Jesus' gracious mighty name we have prayed. And everyone says a very loud amen. amen. You may please be seated. I want to speak to Ross. I'm sure you must have seen from the different banners on social media and the power of thanksgiving. And the reason we say thanksgiving is against thanksgiving is because thanksgiving is not something for us as believers that we ought to do every now and then when something big happens in our lives or God, you know, comes through for us. And so we thank him. And when nothing is happening, we cease thanking God. Thanksgiving for us as believers ought to be a lifestyle. It ought to be our posture, our mentality, our dominion, that no matter what happens in our lives, we would always thank and give praise and glory to our God. And so we see in the text that we read in the book of Psalms 34 and verse 1, and in the Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. All times speaks about all seasons and every phase of our lives. So that when things are working, we will bless the Lord. Things are going on well, we will bless the Lord. But just in case things are not working the way we expect for them to work, we will still continue to bless the Lord. We're going through hell and high water. We will bless the Lord. Men are, you know, maligning us and speaking evil of us. We will continue to bless the Lord. We'll bless the Lord in every season such that the seasons you are in or the seasons you find yourself in does not in any way determine how and when you bless the Lord. You bless and praise and give thanks to your God in spite of the season that you find yourself in. It says, I would bless the Lord at all times. A prior scripture to this is found in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, where Paul is writing to the church at Philippi at a very difficult time and moments in the life of the church. And he will say to them to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in all Always, always been the operating word means that no matter the season, always be joyful or maintain an attitude of joy. Do not allow your circumstances, especially those difficult circumstances, to determine how joyful you would be. Be joyful in spite of the circumstance you find yourself in. And it says, again, I say rejoice, which means that even after you have done everything and you're still joyful and nothing has changed in your circumstances, continue to maintain an attitude of joy. Then David continues to say, and I will bless, when it says, I will bless the Lord at all times, then it says, and his praises. You will notice he didn't say that I will continue to mom. Of course, he can never say that. He never said, I, I'm complaining, will continue to be in my mouth. But rather, like he says, his praises shall continually be in my mouth. Another word for the word continually, there actually speaks about consistency. And if you know anything about consistency, you will discover that con uh, if for you to be successful in anything that you do in life, you have to be consistent. In fact, when you look at your life, you will discover that areas where you are doing so well, like areas 
areas where you're consistent in. And areas where you struggle, you're not doing so well, are areas where you're not so either consistent or areas where you're consistently doing the wrong thing. The point is that the more consistent you are in whatever you do in life, the more successful you will become. A man by the name of um, Dwell Johnson, or Dwayne Johnson, was quoted to have said this, that success isn't always about greatness, it's about consistency. Consistent hard work leads to success. Greatness would always come. So if you're consistently working hard, success is inevitable. John Maxwell was quoted to have said, small discipline repeated with consistency every day leads to great achievements gained slowly over a period of time. um, Tony Robbins said this, he said, it's not what we do once in a while that shapes our life, but what we do consistently. So a man's life is not shaped by those little things that he does and then he forgets about it. But it's the things that you do consistently that shapes your life, for instance. It's not about studying, you know, for three hours in four years and after that you don't study anymore. That will change your life. It's a 30 minutes of study for the rest of your life that will begin to shape your life and your destiny. To bring it closer home for those of us who are Arsenal fans, as a winger was quoted to have said this, Now, when you look at people who are successful, you will find that they aren't the people who are motivated, but have consistency in their motivation. How true that word is. The point I'm trying to make to us this Sunday morning is that for you to see results in any area of your life, you must be consistent in those things. Our Lord Jesus Christ was saying in the book of John chapter 8 and verse 31, where he says, he says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, that he said, if you continue and Another word for continue, of course, is be consistent. Another word of the Greek word for continue there is actually to abide. It says, if you continue or abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. In other words, what Jesus Christ is saying to us, that one of the ways we get roots or we get rooted in the word of God or we abide in the word of God is by being consistent in studying the word of God, in having to feed ourselves with the word of God. So the more we feed and the more we study, the more we know about God, the more we take root in God and we begin to abide in the word of God. Then in verse 32 he says this, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And this is a scripture that every one of us are very familiar with. We quote it every time that when you know the truth the truth will set you free. But you see you cannot know the truth if you're not consistent in the study of the word of God. It's a consistency in the word of God that helps you to know the truth. And guess what? Immediately you know the truth and freedom is guaranteed. You don't even need to pray for freedom to come or for you to be free, for you to be liberated. But as long as you know the truth as a, fun, as a, as a result of being consistent in the word, then you would experience freedom in your life. David will conclude that text in Psalm 34 and verse 1 where he, where he says and where he said that um, and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. Another word I want to quickly highlight there is the word mouth. Now, our lives, you must understand as believers, is controlled by two things, what we think and what we say. The Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So your life will generally move in the direction of your thought. That is why you discover that sometimes you're thinking about someone and immediately your phone rings and the person you're thinking about is the one who, I mean, the person who is calling is the one who you are thinking about. That's how powerful your thought is, how powerful your 
your mind is because your life would generally move in the direction of your thought or your predominant thoughts. Also, your life would move in the direction of the things that you say. That's how come the Bible says that with a mouth or by the things that we say, we're either condemned or we're justified. Jesus in his teaching would always also say that you shall have whatsoever you say. Now that begins to tell us that when you continue to praise God consistently with your mouth, then you would have the power of God flowing in your life. Another way to put it is that whatever, whenever you're going through stuff, or whatever you're going through challenges in your life, rather than allow complaining, com depressive words, discouraging words to come out of your mouth, in the midst of those challenges, you should continue to extol the virtues of God, the power of God, the glory of God. What typically happens is that your life, your life, your body, everything around you begins to move in the direction of what you're declaring with your mind, especially when you're praising God. And the reason we have to also understand is because there's a relationship between what you think and what you say. In other words, um, your mind and your mouth, such that whenever you're saying things as a consequence of where you are, for example, you're going through challenges and you're speaking based on how you feel. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling very discouraged. What you're doing is that your mouth begins to send signal to your mind and your mind sends that same signal back to your body and tell your body that, listen, all is not well. What typically happens is that your body begins to shut down on you based on your confession. That's how come you can talk yourself happy, you can talk yourself joyful, you can also talk yourself depressed, you can also talk yourself into discouragement because there's a connection between what you say and what you think. So when David begins to say, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth, what is basically saying to us that no matter where I find myself in, no matter what I go through, no matter how challenging things get, I will continue to praise and extol God for his goodness and faithfulness towards my life life. And as you begin to extol and begin to praise him, your life begins to move in that direction, even if nothing changes in your circumstances. The point we're trying to make is the fact that the power in our praise and as such our thanksgiving and as such as believers we ought to practice a lifestyle of thanksgiving no matter where we find ourselves in. And there's one particular reason amongst the myriads of reasons that we could give why we ought to always give thanks to our God. One of such according into the scriptures because thanksgiving is good. We see in the book of Psalm 92 and verse 1 where the Bible says, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name O most high. My emphasis is on the first part where it says that it is a good thing for us to give thanks unto the Lord. You will notice that the Bible never said it is a good thing for us to pray. It's not as though prayer is not good. Prayer of course is good. In fact, the scripture infers that prayer is a good think the by Jesus speaking says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Paul in his writing to the church will say to them in Thessalonica, says to pray without ceasing. James will say that men ought always men, yeah, no, Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. James would say that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available or mighty in its working. 
prayer is good. Scripture infers that it is good. But there's no way you will see where it categorically says to us that prayer is a good thing. You also see that you'll notice it did not say that it is a good thing for us to study the word. Of course it's good to study the word. Scripture infers that it is good for us to study. The Bible says that, I mean, Paul writing to Timothy would say to him, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that, you know, needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, when you begin to study, you will know how to rightly divide the word of God. So it's good to study. The Bible tells us how that my people perish for the lack of knowledge. So through study, we begin to know God. And when we don't study, we don't know God. And when we don't know him, the enemy takes advantage over us. So you discover that the reason why believers go through difficulties in their life is not because God is unfair. It's not because the things that they're faced with is stronger than them. It's simply because they do not know certain things about their rights as Christians. So it's good to study. But you also notice there's nowhere in the scripture that I have seen, at least to the best of my knowledge, where it categorically says to us, it is a good thing to study. You also notice it did not say it is a good thing to meditate on the word. And meditation, of course, is good. And throughout the scripture, the scripture infers that it's good for us to meditate on the word of God. God was speaking to Joshua that if you're going to take over the city, that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate on me day and night, that thou mightest observe to do all that is written therein, that by so doing you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success in the words of david he said that the man who meditates upon the word shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth this fruit in his what season then he says his leaves shall not wither and that whatsoever he do with what would happen to him he shall prosper david also said that oh how i love your word it is my meditation all the day long the point is this it's good to meditate on the word but check the scripture there's nowhere where it categorically says to us that it is a good thing to meditate. The only place where you would see where scripture infers and categorically says a good thing is when it comes to thanksgiving and when it comes to praise. That's how come David said in the book of Psalms 92 and verse 1 that it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Another scripture to buttress this is found in Psalms 147 and verse 1 where the Bible says praise ye the Lord for it is good to sing praises unto to our God for this pleasant and praise is come your praise and thanksgiving is beautiful in the eyes of God and there are many reasons why it is good for us as believers to give thanks and praise to God one of course is the fact that it glorifies God it honors God but another reason typically why it's good for us as believers to give thanks to our God is because our thanksgiving is one of the highest expression of our faith in other words when you begin to thank God God sees your thanksgiving your praise as you exercising faith or expressing faith towards him. We've seen the book of Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6 where the Bible says that the communication, the communication, communication actually in here actually means sharing or expression. It says that the communication of the sharing of the expression of your faith may become effectual or effective by the acknowledging, another word for acknowledging is the recognition of every good thing which is in you by Christ Jesus. In other words, one of the ways your faith becomes effectual or becomes effective and is expressed is through the recognition, the acknowledgement of all the good things that are in you. And one of the ways that we acknowledge 
acknowledge those things or begin to recognize the things that God has put on the inside of us is through our thanksgiving. So you're saying, God, I thank you because by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I don't care how I feel, but I know that through Christ, I am healed. I thank you, Almighty God, that yes, I might be going through hell and high water, but I know that God, you will, wake, you will make a way for me where there seems to be no way. I know that God, right now, I may not have anything in my pocket or in my bank account, but God, I'm thanking you because Jesus Christ for my sake, even though he was rich, became poor, that I through his poverty might become rich. I'm thanking you, Father, because I know you supply all of my need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When you begin to acknowledge all that God has done in your life through thanksgiving, you are actually releasing or expressing or exercising faith in the eyes of God. The scripture that actually amplifies this to us is found in the book of Luke, chapter 17, from verse 11 down to verse 19. And I would like to read this from the voice translation. So the Bible tells us about the story of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was going to Jerusalem, and in between Samaria and Galilee, um, yeah, Jesus Christ encountered 10 lepers, 10 lepers. And they saw him and then began to cry out to him for mercy or for compassion or for Jesus to have compassion on them. Jesus would oblige these 10 lepers and would say to them, go show yourself to the priest. In verse 14, Jesus said, go now and present yourself to the priest for inspection of your disease. Now, some, you see, when he said that the implication of what he was saying to them would mean that they had been healed of the disease because you must understand that those days when the man has leprosy he's completely cut off from his community and for him to be reunited into the community the priest would have to he has to be totally cleansed of his leprosy and for that to happen the priest would need to inspect him see that he's well and then gives him a clean bill of health before he's reintegrated into the community so by implication when Jesus said to them go show yourself to the priest he was basically speaking faith even though nothing may have changed in the circumstances, the leprosy, they still felt leprous, they still saw leprosy on their body. But by implication, what Jesus was saying to them is that you have been healed. Which begins to suggest to us that many times when we pray as believers and ask God for something, God may, most times would not answer the way you expect him to answer. Sometimes, of course, he answers by through a miracle where there's instantaneous intervention of the power of God in your life and you can immediately see the change in your life. Other times God would answer by giving you instructions. And that's why we miss it a lot of times as believers because we're expecting a total change, a total transformation. But God says for you to see that transformation, you need to do this and you need to do that. So he gives you an instruction. And for us many times, because God gives us an instruction, we miss the power of God in the moment because we don't obey what God tells us to do. Sometimes he gives you a promise and that promise will require for you to do something, maybe to forgive someone, maybe to give something, maybe to perhaps go out of your way and do something you normally would not do. But you see, your miracle and your, and your breakthrough is an instruction that God has given to you. That if only you will believe God and begin to work out that instruction, then you will see your blessing. That's how come James in his writing would say that faith without works or a corresponding action is dead. Because any faith that does not produce a corresponding action is not real faith. Because if it's true faith, there must be a corresponding 
action. If you say you believe what God has told you, then you must correspond and there must be an action to back up what you say you believe that God has told you. Because just saying you believe alone without the corresponding action, many times you're just merely mentally assenting to the word of God. So saying you believe is not enough, otherwise it becomes a mental action. There has to be a corresponding action. Sometimes you don't have to say, just acting on the word alone speaks more volume than the things that you see. Am I speaking to somebody this morning? So Jesus will say to them, go show yourself to the priest because the miracle is in the instruction. Help me turn to your neighbor, to your left and to your right and tell them the miracle is in the instructions. The miracle is in the instructions. Because these ten lepers would have argued and said, Jesus, nothing has happened. How will you tell us to go show ourselves to the priest? Do you want to embarrass us? And that's how it is with us a lot of times. That Father, know that this is not how I expected it. But you see, you have to trust God. You have to trust the process. His ways, the Bible says, are not our ways. That as the heavens are far above the earth, so are the ways of God different from our ways. So God many times would not always tell you what you want to hear. He would tell you what he thinks is important to you. That's how come for me, prayer is not about what you have to say to God. It's about what God has to say to you. The power of your prayer is not in the number of hours you spend speaking to God. It's in the number of hours you spend listening to God. Because when God gives you an instruction, just one minute of instruction can cover 10 hours of prayer of you speaking your mind to God. Am I speaking to someone on the sound of my voice this morning? So this critical how we hear, this critical what God has to say to us because the power is not just in what you have to say to him. The power is in what God has to say to you. Help me turn to your neighbor and tell them the power is in what God has to say to you. The power is in what God has to say to you. So Jesus will say to them, go show yourself to the priest. In verse 14, go now and present yourself to the priest for inspection of your disease. The Bible says, as they went and before they reached the priest, their skin disease was healed, leaving no trace of the disease that scarred them and separated them from the community as they went as they went. But remember that before they went, nothing has changed. But as they went, following the instruction, following the process, they discovered that something had happened in the midst of obeying the instruction. Somebody under the sound of my voice, I believe that God has sent me to tell you that as you begin to follow the instruction, yes, nothing may have changed in your present. Nothing may have changed in your circumstances. But as you begin to obey and begin to follow and begin to trust Him, you will begin to see changes in your life, not too long from now if you're that person shout aloud amen as they went and before they reached the priest their skin disease was healed leaving no trace of the disease that scarred them and separated them from the community verse 15 one of them the instant he realized that he had been healed turned and ran back to Jesus shouting praises to him I want us to underline the word the instant he realized there are two ways we can instantly realize that something has occurred in our lives the first is through a physical manifestation for example you see the disease is no longer there. You see this, the pain is no longer there. You see the fibroid is no longer there. You can feel your breast, the lump is no longer there. You realize that something has occurred as a result of supernatural intervention. But the second way to realize is by revelation. So nothing has changed in my circumstance, but by revelation, I know that something has occurred. Am I speaking to somebody? 
and you will notice that in both instances there was there would always be a manifestation or a reaction based on what you realize if you realize that something has changed in the natural there will be what a reaction of thanksgiving and the reaction of praise but also if you realize by revelation that something has changed in your life there ought to also be a reaction of thanksgiving and praise because your thanksgiving is a show of faith that you believe that what you're asking God for that God has done for you in other words the same way you would dance when the car comes the same way you would dance when there's a breakthrough comes the same way you will dance when you are settled it's the same way you should dance when you have a revelation that God has changed your circumstances am I speaking to somebody okay so instantly when he realized that he had been healed, he turned and ran back to Jesus, shouting praises to Jesus. Then the Bible says in verse 16, he prostrated himself face down at the feet of Jesus saying, thank you, thank you. Now this fellow, the Bible says, happened to be not a Jew, but what? A Samaritan. What we need to understand, and then in verse 17, the Bible says, and Jesus said, didn't all ten receive the same healing? This fellow did. Where are the other nine? And I believe that every day God keeps asking this question. Where are the other nine? As we're seated this morning in our Thanksgiving service. God is still asking, where are the other nine? Someone said, I'm that one leper who has come to give thanks and praise to God. Where are the other nine who said, God, if you will bless me, if you will give me a child, God, I would, I would worship you for the rest of my life. God did not just give you a child. God gave you three. Where are you now? God, if you settle me in the city of London, you give me all that I want. Father, I will be so committed in church. Now God has settled you. Where are you? Father, if you change my job and promote me, just not, not just give me a new job, but you give me something and you lift me. Father, whatever you require of me, I will do. And God is making requirements and yet you have not done. God is saying, where are you? Help me turn to your neighbor and say, where are you? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Now you can help me turn to them and tell them again that I believe he's, you are the one that he's speaking to. Certainly it's not me. God is asking, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine who said, God, if you do this for me, Father, I'm going to do this for you. And yet God has done those things and you have not responded according to what you said you would do for God. It is important we understand as believers that wherever you are today as a child of God, God is at the root of every great thing in your life. If you're intelligent, it's because of God. If you're blessed, it's because of God. If you're doing well, it's because of God. If you've been lifted, it's because of God. There's nothing good or awesome that's ever occurred called in your life that God is not at the foundation of it. Scripture tells us, it says that every good and perfect gift cometh from above from the Father of light in whom there's no variableness, neither any shadow of turning. Every good gift, every perfect gift, every one of them. I read this in the book of 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 and 31. I read from the message translation. It says this, everything that we have, right thinking, Right living, right believing, a clean slate and a fresh start 
comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you are going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God because it's not about you. It's not about your strength. It's not about your ability. It's not about you are so good. It's not about because you're handsome or because you're pretty. Yes, I know you are handsome. Yes, I know you're pretty. But understand this beyond that, that if it's good, it's God to be God. And God is at the root of the wonderful things in your life. Can I get an amen this morning? Which is why we must never forget to always come back to give the thanks and the praise to God for what he has done. How many of us have ever removed a kidney? Doctors are here, professionals. You, I mean, you can bring your kidney and look at your kidney and say, okay, everything is fine and then you fix back your kidney. How many of us have ever removed our brains and you know you just take your head and you put it on the table and you search for your brain and you look at the brain and you say, okay, everything is fine and then you continue your life. None of us. You don't know what is going on internally within you. You don't know what is going on in your mind. You may have had an embolism, but in the mercy and the grace of God that's preserved you, your kidneys are working, your hearts are working, your brain is working. You are healthy because of the mercy of God. So we must never take for granted the goodness of God in our lives. So when Jesus said, how is it that, are they, were they not 10 that were healed? How is it that there's just this one leper or this one Samaritan who has come back to give thanks to God? The question to ask is this. What happened to the other nine? Why didn't the other nine come? Easily, Scripture did not tell us why. But we can immediately or easily on our own deduce that maybe it's because they were ungrateful. And we will not be wrong to think that way. Another reason, which is why I think a lot of believers are is because they just took it for granted. It's normal. It's normal to sleep and wake up in the morning. It's normal to go out and come back safe. There's nothing normal about what you think is normal because many slept and never woke up. I mean, I see people on the streets of London riding, whether it's bicycle or riding, you know, Vespers and all of that stuff. And I'm like... You can't try this in Nigeria, as in you're riding. The car will push you aside now. I saw a man riding, an old man riding on the bicycle, and then a boss was turning with him, and he just maintained himself, I mean, his lane. Try it in Nigeria. They will push you out of the road. Do you understand? What I'm saying is that life itself is a miracle. Every day you live, every day you are alive, every day you draw breath, ought to be a day you wake up and say, Father, thank you that I'm alive to see today. It must be that you have a purpose for my life. That is why I'm still alive. Because you could be dead six feet under and everybody would have forgotten about you. But if you are still alive today, it's a miracle and it's because of the mercies of God. So don't take for granted every living moment of your life. I was in the gym the other day and I was hearing a brother say that because he exercises, so he's very healthy and he was boasting and he was saying that in 23 years, he's not taking malaria tablet. He lives in Nigeria, not London. You know, if, if, if somebody in London tells you in 23 years, I haven't taken malaria tablet, you understand. But Nigeria, <laughs> I'm talking about Nigeria. I'm not even talking about Ghana. So he was saying this because he exercises, because his feet. That's why in 23 years he's never taking drugs. You see, your health is beyond your exercise. Because I've seen people who exercise and have found themselves in the hospital. Am I speaking to someone? At the height of COVID, I was running 
30 miles every other day. Sometimes 25 miles. Kilometers, sorry. And I would run for three hours, two and a half hours. And I was doing strict vegetarian diet on top of that. I felt I was doing something good and I was being health conscious. It wasn't too long I found myself in the hospital and they thought it was COVID. But it wasn't COVID. So they put me in this COVID ward thinking it was COVID and they were treating me for COVID. For what I didn't have. And so as they began treating, my organs began to shut down. My kidneys were shortened, my livers were shutting down. And they were treating until the second test came out and they discovered it wasn't COVID. And so they took me out of the COVID room or wherever and took me upstairs. But the thing is, I'm very health conscious. I watch what I eat. I exercise as, at least to the best of my ability. But you see, just exercising, watching what you eat is not enough. You can exercise and eat well and the devil can still strike. And there are people who don't even exercise. I have a mother-in-law. She's about 82 this year. My mother-in-law eats anything. The woman can eat like five times a day. She drinks Coke Fanta. And she's still moving. She washes her clothes herself. She does everything herself at 80-something. I'm just saying, it's what you would think is a health, unhealthy lifestyle. But yet she's still alive. She's kicking. She's doing well because of the God factor. So my brothers and sisters, I thank God for your exercise. I thank God for your healthy living. But please remember there's a God factor. It is a God factor that brings us back to always say thank you for all that you have done. Yes, I know I exercise, but beyond the exercise, God, I give you the praise. Lord, I know I eat healthy, but beyond the eating healthy, God, I give you the glory. Because if not for you, something may have gone wrong. Am I speaking to somebody? Help me turn to your neighbor and say, I know he's speaking to me now. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to me. Hallelujah. Let me begin to round up. The point we're trying to make is this. That one of the reasons why it is critical for us as believers to always give thanks to God is because our thanksgiving is one of the highest expression of our faith. So in verse 18, Jesus categorically spells it out when he says this, was the only one who came back to give God praise an outsider. And look at this in verse. Notice the word who came back to give God praise. Then in verse 19, he says this, to the Samaritan man, get up, Pastor Tammy, and go your way. He says, your faith has made you healthy. Notice he did not say your thanksgiving or your praise has made you healthy. In fact, if Jesus said that, he still would be correct. So the man came, he gave praise and thanksgiving to God. He kept saying to Jesus, thank you, thank you. Jesus in responding said, how was it that it's only this Samaritan man who had come back to give praise to me? Now in speaking back to him, he said, your faith has made you whole. In other words, he substitute praise for faith, thanksgiving for faith, because your thanksgiving is one of the highest expression of your faith. Can you get that? Now? Do you see that? So John will put it this way in the book of 1 John 5 and verse 14 to 15, where he says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. 
Our confidence in our faith is, is, is our faith. But the way we know that he hears, and let me say this for then. You see, every time you pray according to the will of God, as a believer, God hears. So sometimes all of this long prayer that makes God look as though, God, you're so wicked. I have to spend five hours to get your attention. That's not the God you and I serve. So if it is in accordance with his will, he hears us. And do you know what? Divine health is the will of God. Divine prosperity is the will of God. Your well-being is the will of God. Am I speaking to somebody? God wants you well. God is not just interested in your spiritual well-being. He's also interested in your material, your natural, and your physical well-being. He's a wholesome or holistic God interested in your holistic well-being, spirit, soul, and body. Is somebody getting this? So whenever we pray as believers, always know this. He hears you. The moment you begin to pray, as long as what you're praying about is in line with the will of God and you're exercising faith, God hears. But unfortunately, Christians make God look as though God is a wicked God. That's why he said, I'm not like your parents. He said, if you, your physical and natural parents, being evil, by being evil, there is no cursing out on any parent. He's just saying that we have an evil nature. That's our flesh. So we're susceptible to evil because of our flesh. So if your parents who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him? Help me turn to your neighbor and tell them, God is not a wicked God. is a good, kind, merciful father. He says that he hears us because the moment you begin to pray in accordance to his will, God hears and you know when he hears, it's as good as him responding to what you're asking him for. He doesn't hear and say, as we say in Nigeria, at they come. Just wait for me. No, he hears and acts immediately based on what you've asked him for. But let me also say this in another way. You see, God never does things in your life that he or promises you something that he has not already done. So when God is going to make a promise to you, he makes a promise based on what he has already done. So he does it first and then he comes back and makes the promise to you. That's why God can never change his mind concerning his promises. Because he's already fulfilled the promise before he made the promise. A good example would be when God created man and the world. You will notice he did not create man and said, man, Chiri, wait first. Let me go and start creating all you would need. He created all that man would need and put man in the midst of abundance. I must begin to somebody. So everything you would ever need, he has already done, which is why when you pray in accordance to his will, you're praying based on what God has already done. And so he makes a promise to you. And so he's not just bound to fulfill it. He has already fulfilled what you're asking him for. In fact, I was praying the other day and God told me, said that even what you're asking me for according to my will, I put it in your heart. Which means your desires were put there by God for you to desire those things so he can bring them to pass what you desire. Am I speaking to someone? What the, the Bible says is, for it is him that worketh in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Which means if he's not working, you can't desire. The only reason you have a desire is because he put the desire first in the first place. 
the desire there in the first place. Am I speaking to someone? So they, John says that, and this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask according to his will, then we know we have the petition that we desire of him. Question, how do I know that God hears me? What is the evidence that God has heard? The simple answer would be because I believe. But how do I express that belief? Thanksgiving. Because if I were to give you something or to give to something, your natural response would be to say what? Thank you. An ungrateful person would take it and then walk away. That's what Jesus Christ was referring to. And you're not, I mean, you don't receive everything. You receive some things, but not all. But you see, it's normal human nature and normal human characteristics that when someone gives you something or gives you something, and you say, thank you. So whenever I know in the place of prayer, oh God, I need this, and I know that what I'm praying is in line with the will of God. And the easy, very easy one would be our health. You've just gone to the doctor, and the doctor said it's not looking very good. And then you begin to remember that the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus that you have been healed. And I know we quote that scripture a lot of times, but we quote without understanding. So when it says that by his stripes that you have been healed, it means that Jesus has paid for your healing. So everything you need in terms of your health is on the shelf. All you need to do is to go and take it. Before now, when he had not paid, you needed to labor for it. So you need to do some things for it. Now all that he requires from you is to simply believe. So through believing, you go to receive. For example, you receive healing from breast cancer. You receive healing from kidney issues. I remember when we were in the hospital and the doctors came and said all of those things. Your kidneys are shutting down. Your livers are shutting down. Your posture is enlarged. I mean, it was bad. And he said, he said to me, what do you want, good news or bad news? Which one first? And I was looking at him. You know how doctors speak, Pastor Timmy. You know. You know how your doctors are, uncle, daddy. You, you understand. That good news or bad news, which one would you want first? I was looking at him because I was turned. Bad news in what sense? How? From where? I'm a man of prayer. I'm a man of God. Hallelujah. And then, so from where, how? So we kept quiet, and then he started with the bad news. So he started saying all of this thing. When he finished, my wife, when he left, and you know sometimes when you receive news, even if you're the strongest person, go and ask Elijah. Elijah had just finished doing exploits. The one woman, woman, Sister Jezebel, came to Elijah and threatened him. Elijah went and then began to say, God, I'm tired. As in, I, 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 I'm, I'm tired. Just take my life. I, I can't. I'm just saying that you can be a man of God and then there's some news you would hear that just completely destabilizes you. And there's nothing wrong with being destabilized. It just shows you're human and you need God. Because the moment you're feeling you're super mighty, you begin to feel like you don't need God. You can do all things by yourself. So, so, so sometimes God brings you to grand zero. Or the enemy brings you to ground zero and God uses that to what the enemy does to let you know that um, you, you need to be in touch with me. You need me. Help me turn to your neighbor and tell them, you need me, you need me, you need me. Or tell them you need God, you need God, you need God. Hallelujah. So my wife would say to me, let us pray. And she held my hand. I didn't even know what to say anymore. How? From where? Me, Uche, I be monitored, Charles, Joseph. How? From where? I don't know. 
You know, all my life I've never received a bad news, bad news like that. And God forbid, I don't pray for it. But for those who have, you know how it feels. It's as if your whole world is crashing. You don't even know where to start from. So my wife held my hands and said, let's pray. And so we prayed. And she just prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. Now, Father, we thank you and we honor you because we know that this is done. We thank you because by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. What she was doing was that she was going to the shelf where our healing was and was taking from God what Christ has already paid for. It's like going to take medicine and taking an injection and injecting yourself or, you know, you're prescribed medicine and then, you know, you're, you're taking the medicine. And when she prayed, I'm telling you, God bears witness, the next day, they ran the test. The day after, they came back and said, well, we have good news. Your kidneys are functioning properly. They're picking up. Your, your livers are picking everything. Five, six days after, I was out of the hospital. That's because whenever we pray according to his will, he hears us. And the way we know that God has heard us is when we begin to thank him. Because when you know you have received a gift from someone, the natural response is what? It's Thanksgiving. My time is up. Let's stand to our feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. The point I'm trying to make this morning is the fact that there's power in our Thanksgiving. And that thanksgiving ought not to be something we do once in a while. It ought to be our lifestyle, our mentality, our attitude. And no matter what we go through, God is killing me, but I'm grateful. I'm struggling, but God, I know in whom I have believed. That God, you are able to deliver me. Ends are not meeting, but you are still God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, far above all that I can ever ask, think or imagine. And one of the reasons why for us as believers, Thanksgiving must be our lifestyle because the Bible says it is good for us. And the reason it's good is because it's one of the highest expression of our faith. Because every time you thank God, you are saying, God, I believe that that thing I'm thanking you for is already a done deal. My circumstances may not have changed. The job may not have come. The child or the pregnancy may not have come, but I thank you. Because my times and my days are in your hands. And you see, when you begin to thank him, it's a matter of time, just like those 10 lepers, you begin to see the miracle. You begin to see the breakthrough in your life. But even if you don't, that thanksgiving and expression of faith begins to Guard your mind against things that naturally should break you. Against things that naturally should make you depressed. And the best thing that can ever happen to you is when your mind is guarded by God through his peace. That's how come you can be going through hell and high water and still be in a place of peace and tranquility. Now what happens is that you have a clear mind to think your way through so that when God begins to give you direction, you can hear him and you can know where he's leading you to. Can someone just lift up those hands and say, Father, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor because you're my God. You are my king. 
There's nothing too difficult for you to do. You're able to do in my life exceedingly, abundantly, far above all that I can ever ask, think, or imagine in the mighty name of Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on HOTR.org.uk.